0: Plus.
1: Talk shoes. Recorded live. <laughs>
0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of the NGSC Weekly Show. I am your host, Joshua Zimmer, and always joined by my partner in crime, fellow NGSC Sports Senior Draft Analyst, Mr. Montel Hardy. Montel, what's going up, brother?
1: Uh, Not a lot. It's a beautiful day on the south side of Chicago, you know, so uh, just kind of hanging out. Enjoying what's left of the sun and uh well trying to avoid the Bulls game at all
0: costs all <laughs> right this is getting uh this is getting out of hand man i'm uh
1: I, so I got all
0: fired up you know I got all fired up today uh with them winning and you know on Monday and not happening today
2: uh
1: oh no, not at all, not at all and uh, it's just it's just bad this is just really bad basketball and it's, they're just so hot from three. When a team is hot like that from three, I mean, it's just a struggle at that point because you know you're not going to go shot for shot with them. So.
0: Hey, for real. But hey, the one thing that we can talk about that has to deal with Chicago is the NFL draft because obviously it was there in Chicago. And, and, hell, with you being in Chicago, first things first, how did it go? Uh, from a guy who is native you know, of Chicago, Illinois, how do you think the people of Chicago kind of – Took in the festivities this weekend, and do you think that it's something that you know we're going to be seeing a lot more of uh, in the coming future?
1: Uh, well, absolutely. Uh, you know, Chicago was buzzing, and I think uh, you know my experience is awesome. It was it was a great experience. I know I, I left out of work early Thursday, and I told I walked past my uh, VP and told her that I was going to be gone for the day, and well, actually, the week. So I went ahead and took Friday off too. And she looked at me, she's like, "Oh, I know where you're going." <laughs> you know like she knew she, she knew what I had planned, but uh, yeah, no, it, it is what it is. It was a great weekend, it was a great time to uh kind of take in the NFL and everything that has to offer, and uh the people were awesome. Uh, you have fans from all over uh, Kansas City. A lot of Jaguar fans in the house, just wearing these old, you know, jerseys for no reasons. Uh, they had uh, you know, nice drinks. Uh, the bars were up and going up, you know, real close to the area. And, uh, man, there are some things you know. It was a spectacle to see. I mean, some things, <laughs> some things I might have to tell you off air. <laughs> but uh, no, uh, as far as what happened, the actual uh, show itself was great. It's just that it was a little bit more weather dependent. Like if they bring it back, they might want to do it slightly inside as some type of outside feel too, because uh thursday was pretty cold (laughs) thursday night was cold uh but friday saturday were both beautiful and that was the best part um they basically kind of texted the fans when they could come like inside that little tunnel and and kind of like cheer and be a part of the draft uh and they texted you you know obviously as people were coming and going they text you so you can go in and be a part of the actual live event Uh, otherwise you're just hanging around outside uh you know, just kind of just enjoying the scene. Had a little concert on Saturday, I believe. So uh, it, it was just a lot of fun. And I really do believe this will be like the Super Bowl. And you'll see teams start to bid on the draft because the type of tourism they got, the type of money Chicago brought in, it was great. Um, and I think they didn't have to do say as much as you'd have to do for, say, the Olympics or a Super Bowl. And... uh I think it should come back to Chicago. I mean, it's right. You know, it's the they call it, you know O'Hare's like the the port. You know, the United States is the hub of the United States. So it's the, almost the middle of the country, and it's one of the easiest towns to get to from all over the the country. So I I hope they do bring it back. I really do. Well, I I completely agree with
0: you there, man. Just from what I watched, you know, me being up here in North Dakota, I didn't have a chance to go take in the festivities that you did. But when you watch it on on TV, it definitely brought. Uh, a little bit more of an experience from what they showed to the actual fans, something that I don't think New York, you know, with it being on Broadway, you know, in the Times Square area at Radio City, I don't think they really had an opportunity to kind of bring that to the environment. And like you said, it was something that uh, kind of threw it for a loop. I would not be surprised if we do not see the draft in Radio City Music Hall for quite some time, just because of how well, they did in chicago this weekend
1: say that again i'm sorry that last part
0: no i said um i said i will not be surprised if we do not see the draft held in radio city music hall for quite some time just with how well they did this year in chicago and how well the fans took it in i mean like you said it, it looked I mean, I, I, like I said, I'm sitting here in North Dakota, and I felt like I was a part of it because with everything, you all know, the camera shots that they showed, uh, they really allowed the fan to have a little bit more of an in-depth experience than, you know, sitting As, in the...
1: Yeah, absolutely, and it was also, you know, uh, very acoustically driven, so it was outside, but the, it was like a, basically in a type of tunnel structure, so... You could hear the sound just kind of like firing throughout the room so the yells hit harder, the screams, the cheers, all that was louder and harder and I think they did a great job kind of selling this event along with uh, uh, you know, the weekend itself and packaging it, you know, together for fans but uh, I liked it because it had a concert type of a feel to it and I think when you saw some of the players hit the stage and stuff like that, especially when Kevin White walked across, that was, you know, they kind of, uh, you know, it was was like a rock star feeling, you know, he's walking in Inside, it's more private, but when you walking outside, everyone inside is cheering for you. You know, you feel like you just dropped an album, you know, a, a, a fire mixtape, you know, something like that. So uh, I think the players liked it too, uh, in short.
0: Yeah. Good thing you brought up the players, because obviously we can't talk about the draft without winners and losers. Um, obviously, we can't properly give a good grade on this draft till about three years down the road but we're just now starting to scratch the surface uh, of that grade. Uh, Now it's in the hands of these NFL coaches to really either, A, bring these players along or make sure that these players become the stars that uh, a lot of fans hope and a lot of analysts have been predicting. So with that being said, there's a couple teams that I listed that I want to talk about, and if you have any, feel free free to add them in. Obviously, my winners, uh, I, I have two legit winners, Um, You know who one of them is. Um, The Minnesota Vikings, I felt like they had a great draft. Um, The fact that Eric Kendricks falls to them at 45, uh, I don't think you can predict uh, a pick to go any other way than that pick, Uh, especially now that you can kind of sit back and say to Green Bay fans, you know, we're talking within the NFC North. We can talk to Green Bay fans and say, hey, why did you guys not take this guy, you know, at at 30 like you guys should have? Um, it was a great pick. And then, of course, you know, with them hitting on Daniel Hunter in the third round, your guy, you know, I'm going to give you the credit for that one, your guy, the guy that you really like, going to be able to bring him in and hopefully mold him in to be the Michael Johnson-type player that Zimmer has really been kind of looking for on that defense. They have Anthony Barr, but when you get a guy like that who you can kind of play on the line or even maybe stand him up, bring him in a different, you know, pressure situations, uh, it's going to make a good tandem for his pressures. Um, what was your take on the Vikings draft? Um, within, you know, throughout all the picks, maybe a couple that maybe stood out
2: to you?
1: Uh, you know, absolutely, Josh. Uh, this 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 team had a very good draft. Uh, you know, Trey Reims in the first went back and get Eric Kendricks in the second. Uh, I think him and Anthony Barr, man, you know. <laughs> that's, you talk about chemistry at the linebacker spot. You know you got to trust your brother brother to carry one side of the field while you've got the other. And it's just so much about that. And I think not only does that you know boost their linebacker performance, but it boost that team chemistry. That they're, they're breeding a very good young defense. And Danielle Hunter, or Danielle Hunter, I mean, it, you're you're gonna love this guy. And like I said before, incredibly strong at the point of attack. Uh, I think he'll probably get his best start as a defensive end. And I think only because uh, in this specific scheme, you just have to. Co- him up to where he's quicker off the ball. I think you misused him, and they played him solely like that. He's a stand-up guy who can give you some zone. He can he can drop back in man. He's more athletic, uh, more athletic than uh, Benargic McKinney, and people are going to try to do more, you know, play in spacings with him. Uh, so, you can get to have some fun with a guy like Daniel Hunter on the field, and I think you have a creative defensive mind like Mike Zimmer, he'll, he'll figure out exactly how to use this guy. Uh, and and I'm, I just couldn't have wished a better situation for him. Um, I selfishly wanted him for my Bears, but I knew it wouldn't be, like, the perfect scheme fit for him. But but now he's got it. Uh, TJ Clemmings, I wasn't the biggest fan of going into this draft, but in the fourth round, you know, why not? Why not take this guy, um, help him rehab the foot injury? And he's going to take some time anyway. Give him a year to uh, come into the fold and and maybe you've got yourself a long-term starter at left tackle uh in time you know as as he gets more experienced and and more a little bit more uh, powerful but he is he's got all the physical ability to be a fantastic player at the at the next level and I'm a huge fan of Stefan Diggs and um I don't think I've given you the talk about him as much as I have, you know, some of the other uh people I've discussed the draft with. But Stefan Diggs is a guy I've been watching since high school. Uh he competed against uh my cousins in the passing league during summer and uh he actually uh went to good council high school over in uh I think it's Gaithersburg, Maryland, out, out somewhere out there uh, in yep. the central Maryland area and he um fantastic athlete, uh, and and he's never really changed. He's always been a long strider, always the fastest guy on the field, except in high school, it also seemed like he was one of the more powerful, one of the more uh, just, just tougher guys on the field, and even now in college, I mean, he's been held back a little bit by injuries, but he's basically uh, Brandon Cooks on steroids to me. If you keep this guy healthy, he can, uh, he, will tackle, he will tackle, he will tackle, he'll catch you all over the middle, take the big hits, and fight for every yard. Uh, he's been great uh, running his routes, he has solid hands, and he'll he'll really, you know, surprise you, you know, one-handed catch here, leaping catch there. Uh, I think he's everything people kind of see in Justin Hardy, um, and, and Justin Hardy might have the same potential, but I think he's a a great bargain around five, and, and just all the way around, uh, Austin Shepard, another tackle on my board, uh, I had him as a sixth-round guy out of Alabama, so uh, they had a very fundamentally sound draft, and I think it's just like you just start stacking good drafts. You know, this year, last year, the year before, especially. Uh, you know, bring those guys to the forefront, and you've got maybe a solid team.
0: I completely agree with you, and I and I want to elaborate a little bit on the Diggs pick before we uh, before we move on to the to the next team. Uh, I, I really like this kid. This is a kid who last year uh, I thought, had he have not maybe busted his arm, he probably could have been in the consideration to be a first round or second round type guy. Had he have not had. Uh, that unlucky string of injuries that he did. I'm going to take it a, neg- a step th- a further with you saying that he's Brandon Cooks on steroids. I'm going to say he's an undersized Percy Harvin, which is really what the Vikings have been You know, they, they wanted Cordero Patterson to kind of take over that Percy Harvin role, but the difference with Harvin and Patterson was that Patterson hasn't really learned how to run routes. Pat- Harvin knew how to do that. You can have a guy like Diggs do that, and you don't have to have him run great routes because he's going to be doing a lot of his work out of the slot anyway. Um, I think this is the kid who, who's going to make his first big impact, obviously, on special teams. He's probably going to be the punter and the kick returner. Um, but I like the fact that now that brings a little bit more flexibility and versatility to those types of schemes. I mean, we know North Turner, he, he's not afraid to do some sort of crazy package. Can you imagine if they threw some sort of package where they had – You know, Diggs on one side, Patterson on the other, and that was out of the backfield, you know, in between Teddy Bridgewater. Um, Or maybe you had Adrian Peterson on one side and had another guy operating out of the slot. This is going to help create a little bit more mismatch, and hopefully, I'm praying as a Vikings fan that Patterson's taking that next step to where we don't have to really hope that Diggs can be our outside receiver and we can keep him in the slot working uh, in between reps with Jarius Wright. Another team that I want to touch base on with you uh, is a team that I thought had a great draft. Um, I'm also – it's a team that if I was uh, to give them a grade, I'd say they probably had an A- minus to an A draft, and that's the Atlanta Falcons. Um, here's some of their picks. Obviously, you know how high I am on Vic Beasley. In the second round, they are able to nab Jalen Collins. Third round, they get your guy, who you had as the best running back in this class, I believe, in Tevin Coleman, or maybe the second best running back in this class. And then they get Justin Hardy, and then I I believe the steal of the defensive line position in Grady Jarrett. Uh, And then, of course, you know, they add some depth to their offensive line with Jake Rogers in the seventh round. What pick from the Falcons really stood out to you, or do you think that uh, they might have missed on a couple of guys, depending on where the position that they were drafting in? Because I thought they had a solid draft uh, when you look at just their first five picks.
1: Uh no, no, I, I agree with you. Uh one thing I would say is uh A, yes, they killed it. You wanna go in and get yourself uh, at least three starters in the draft. Uh they might have gotten themselves four. So you can't you can't knock them on that front, right? They did what they were supposed to do. They addressed some big needs. But one thing I will say is I was hesitant about the fact that they decided to leap for Jalen Collins in the second round. Uh John Josh, you know we talked about this guy, you know we've had the the, you know the smoking problems, right? There's reports that he's failed a couple of drug tests. Uh, there's also reports that uh, suggest that his brother may be a, a very popular dealer um, in that in that realm. And uh, also, there were, in my opinion, you know, one or two guys that were just as worthy going in that spot. And it concerned me because they had some offensive line issues, and, and my guy. Jake Fisher was still on the board. So in second round, I was really shocked to see them stray from the offensive line and not really get the best value at corner. But with that said, Collins is a guy who I would have taken in round three. He's going to be pretty good, but I don't think he's the athlete people think he is. But he's a a great vertical presence. He he can jump with the the modern-day wide receiver. He can go up there and fight for the 50-50 balls. And he's also uh, a great help in the run game. But uh, given what the Falcons need from him now, it may take him a little bit of time to really adjust and to really be that, that reliable boundary corner or uh, wherever they want to play him when they when they start him. But other than that, I love Big Beasley there at eight. That solid value. He was actually, uh, I think Beasley might have been my fifth, sixth, seventh-rated athlete. So, solid value there. Uh, in the third round, Tevin Coleman's my number two-rated running back. I think they could have, uh, couldn't have could uh, have uh, done a better job there addressing a need. I know they let go of uh, maybe Antoinette, Smith, But I definitely know Steven Jackson's gone. Jaquiz Rogers is a Chicago Bear now. So uh, they addressed a huge need, and they've got a guy who fits their style of offense. Uh, I just hope they can make some holes for him up front. But they should be okay uh hardy i am loving the slot you said it uh, just before uh you know this is a team that needs that guy that can be that slot corner they've been their slot receiver they've been needing him forever you know they tried different guys in Terry douglas doesn't fit so um good job on them strengthening the line with grady jared uh, i like the draft all around like i said i just have a question around two but obviously if collins comes in and is the the corner people think he can be then this isn't even an issue
0: Yeah, I completely agree with you there. That was the only pick that really stood out to me, Uh, the fact that he was a high-rated guy, but uh, you would have thought that maybe he tried to create a little bit of separation there and maybe not take that guy, especially with uh, the offensive line issues. Obviously, we know teams lost. We don't really have to get into them that much because, uh, you know what, we're going to be nice today. It's the draft. You know, we're kind of still on our draft hangover. We're going to be a little bit nice and say that, you know, we're not going to discuss the teams that lost, although – I will note the notables and the Packers and the Seahawks really need to evaluate their brain trust on what they did this year, because uh, that was a surprising draft by Ted Thompson. I want to go to you and ask surprises. What were some of the surprise picks for you? Because I know for me, and it might be for you too, and it might be for the rest of the entire country. Melvin, or, uh, Melvin Gordon and Todd Gurley both going in the top 15. Uh, this is the first time a running back has gone in and- in the first round uh, in the last couple of years. I believe it's been like, what, two or three years. But the fact that they went top 15 Mm -hmm. and the San Diego Chargers had to trade up to get him, what's your takeaway from that? Because I'm not as surprised as Melvin Warden as I am Todd Gurley going top 10. Just because of that knee, he ain't going to be ready until at least two weeks into training camp is from what the doctors have came out and said. Uh, I thought it was a big surprise. When you look at that running game, you know, they 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 really hit a home run with Trey Mason, I believe last year. I mean, I thought when he finally had the, the full reins of the, of the job, he did great. You can go back and watch the Raiders game. Of course, it was the Raiders, but go back and watch that Raiders game. Uh, I know I remember it because he scored me 27 points in fantasy that weekend. Um, and then you get a guy like Zach Stacy, who ran for 1,000 yards as a rookie. Of course, he wanted to get out as soon as they drafted him, and so they shipped him to the Jets. What are your takes on maybe some of the surprises of this year's draft?
1: Uh well yeah, I'm right there with you, Josh. Oh, you look at that pick. Uh well first off, you know, I talk to people in uh you know, who who are close to the, the San Diego Chargers organization and believe it or not, uh Gordon is actually the, the number one player on their board. He he's been sitting there for uh I've been told a good while. Um I like I said, I wish i had knew earlier when I did my mind, but uh you no, know, he's been there and it's uh it's just been a thing within the organization that they want this guy. Uh, and they, they want to, you know, uh, play him and make him the new uh, running back for this team. So I'm um, just as surprised as you. I think Leo Collins had an impact by not, you know, being draftable. I think the Rams might have taken him at 10, and I think maybe Gurley could have been there for the Chargers, and then that might have been uh, maybe a little bit of a, a drama for them. But uh, overall, yes, I'm very surprised at the way things kind of turned out. My biggest surprise in the first round was the New Orleans Saints. Uh, you know, we talked about it, I think, this is a team that that has some needs. That's trying to rebuild, but they really, you know, they they really want to rebuild, but they're trying to just retool themselves. They want to stay competitive, uh, even though they have to shed some salary and, and get younger at several key positions and just get better. Uh, and they, to me, uh, they just, you know, sometimes it's kind of like the draft is a dance. And uh, if the draft was a dance, then the Saints kind of stepped on the girls' toes a few too many times. <laughs> and uh, yeah. you look at you look at their picks, uh, Andrews Pete at 13. Uh, I don't know if we discussed him in depth, but in short, I'm not the biggest Pete fan. Uh, I think people like him because he's big. But for someone that big, he should have better functional strength. He doesn't. Uh, I just think – this draft is more for the future, which once again it's not. It, it might be a bleak future if this is your your anchor left tackle. I don't see the mean streak in this guy. You know, he's not as nasty as a Brandon Scherf, Mail um, Collins, uh, Jake Fisher doesn't have the intellect or the athleticism uh, of a of a uh, Jake Fisher. So it, it surprised me there that they took him at 13 because we yeah you know, we talked about this and I thought the consensus on the Saints was. Uh, hey, this defense is bad. Let's get it better. And you know me, Josh. I stacked the board. I gave him a five tech and I gave him an edge rusher in the first round. And I said, let's you know, let's get it. <laughs> you know, let's let's go out there and let's uh, compete for the NFC South title. Uh, instead, they took a step back. Uh, Stefan Anthony. He's going to be a great running, or a great linebacker. I think he's going to be a fine player in the NFL. But I can't help but think he would have been there for them uh, at thirteen in the second round. You know, if they were so inclined. So you could have waited on him. Hawaii Kikaha. I. I will bang the table for this guy anytime really, on day three. Uh, I don't believe he was supposed to be a day two guy. Uh, he's a technician. He's intelligent. Uh, he knows how to – his hand usage is excellent. Uh, but I think – I just think, you know, the injury risk because of the ACL surgeries, uh, the lack of explosion that a lot of players might need to succeed in the NFL, that is what kind of uh, hurts him. So to take him there in the second round puts high expectations on him. You know, I like him a lot, but if I take him in the fourth and he can give me anything, it's fine, you know, it's good because he's a fourth round pick. But if I take him in the second, that means he's day one starter, has to stay healthy, and he better be productive. So to tag all those uh all those uh, expectations on Kikaha out of the gate, very difficult. Uh third round they win the guy Grayson. Um I mean I get it, because you get to learn from Drew Brees and Sean Payton. Peyton was a quarterback himself, excellent offensive coordinator, so you couldn't pick a better situation for any of these guys, really. He might be in the best situation out of any of these quarterbacks. I mean, even Jameis Winston, Marcus Mariota, even though they're more talented passers, they won't get what this guy will get, and that's a wealth of knowledge from two great quarterbacks. So uh, it was just all about the future. To me, their best two picks were P.J. Williams and Davis Toll out of Chattanooga. Paul uh, yes. was a tremendous athlete. Uh, I gave him a third round grade. I thought, I mean, it, it, it's just downright criminal. Some people have this guy's uh, a fringe sixth rounder. To get him in a fifth will be a steal. I think you can take him and you can use him in a traditional edge rusher way, or you can have him be your will. He's fast enough, athletic enough to do it. And uh, PJ Williams in the third. Now, I know he's a troublemaker. You know, he's gotten into some trouble. Uh, maybe you shouldn't let this guy drive anymore after APM, p.m., but. To me, he might be pound for pound, uh, maybe the second, third best corner in this draft. He's just uh, lacks a little bit of discipline both on and off the field, and it costs him.
0: I completely agree with you there. I want to go back to a little bit how you were talking about, you know, the Saints with that Pete pick. Uh, you know what? I, I lied to you, folks. I'm going to talk about losers because the biggest losers in my eyes were the Saints, and this is why. You trade your number one weapon on offense to the Seattle Seahawks just to get their first-round pick. But you did more damage in the process by doing that because you got to look at it this way. Who did you replace your offense with? Really nobody. You're expecting Brandon Cooks to be a guy that, that Drew Brees can basically lean on. I mean, he has nobody else to throw to you. Yeah, you have Marcus Colston. That's about it. And you send him to a place where tight ends go to die, and it's been proven. Seattle does not know how to use a tight end. Look at Zach Miller. He was great when he was with previous teams. I mean, he was with the Raiders, and he was with the the, uh, uh, Jacksonville Jaguars beforehand. And then look when he went to Seattle, he died. A a guy named Luke Wilson showed up, and then he died. So you you sent your best offensive player to go to a team where they don't use tight ends. So that's one strike. Mm -hmm. You you reached on an offensive lineman at number 13 when really – Offensive line may have been your need, but you could have easily taken that with your second pick of the first round. You killed yourself there. You know, I I don't know what the Saints are trying to do. Uh, like, I do agree with you with the Grayson pick. I mean, you, you look at some of these quarterbacks, who they get to learn from Brock Osweiler gets to learn under Peyton Manning. Can't go to a better situation there. Jimmy Garoppolo is learning under Tom Brady, who after the deflate gate scandal, that has finally been released. Uh, he could be the day one starter there, depending on what the NFL decides to do in terms of punishment. Then you look at Garrett, you know, Garrett Grayson. He gets to learn under Drew Brees. I cannot find another quarterback in the NFL who gets to learn under a, a better area or a situation. Yeah, maybe Brett Hundley and Green Bay, but he doesn't fit that type of system. You know, all three of those guys that we just named are quarterback true QBs. They're they're, they're pocket passers. They're not gonna. They're not going to run for a thousand yards, and they're sure as hell not going to run for a hundred yards in a game. So, sorry that I lied to you guys, but I had to say I feel that the Saints really did lose this draft, just basing it on some of the things that they did early in Austin. Um, like you said, Garrett Grayson and PJ Williams might be their best picks. Uh, that could say something. You know, I I do like Kikaha. I will say that because you know me, Montel, and a lot of people who follow me on Twitter know me. I'm a pass rushing fanatic. I love pass rushers. I, I, I cling to guys who I, who I fall in love with very early, and I really like what I see from them. He could be that guy in the second round. You just got to hope to God that he doesn't plant wrong and the knee goes, otherwise your second round pick is gone and, and possibly for the, his career.
1: I just, uh, well, how do you feel about him pursuing at the NFL level, his pursuit at the NFL? I mean, are they going to make him a five-tech? I mean, it depends on how you play him, too, but how do you feel about his ability to pursue at the NFL level?
0: I think he's going to be a five-tech. You know, the the biggest thing with him is he has a great motor. Um, It never turns off, and that's Mm -hmm. one of the reasons why he's such a great technician, it's because he's bang bang, yep. bang 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 bang. He's he's always moving. That's why his hands are always moving. That's why he's, I mean that's why he had 19 and a half sacks this year. Uh, yeah, maybe some of that goes because he had Danny Shelton next to him, but nevertheless he had 19.5 sacks. And when you watch the tape, they weren't giving me sacks. Those were sacks that that you had to work for. And I mean he has a great motor. So I think it, if the if the Saints can transition this kid properly. Uh, I do believe allow he has the body to add more weight. Let him add more weight, and then boom, we'll be good uh, Good to go from there. Um, I think the Saints could have maybe hit on that guy. But, again, it's obviously too early to tell, but it, it doesn't look good when we scratch the surface. But that's the first half hour of us ranting and giving some praise to the NFL teams. Uh, we're going to take a quick NGSC Sports update, and when we come back, we're going to be joined by E. Oh, to talk
1: a little bit of NBA. Montel, take it away. Absolutely, Josh. I'm Montel Hardy, and this is an NGSE Sports News Break. Just a reminder that you can listen in at NGSEsports.com. Just go on the red talk shoe box to listen to us live. In the news now, the NFL found that it is probable that the New England Patriots personnel deliberately deflated balls during the AFC Championship game in January and that quarterback Tom Brady was probably, quote, at least generally aware, end quote, of the rules violations. The findings were released Wednesday in a 243-page report by Ted Wells. The league-appointed attorney who investigated whether the Patriots deflated balls in their game against the Indianapolis Colts. Uh, looking now live, look at some uh, scores here in NBA basketball. Believe it or not, the Chicago Bulls are getting crushed by the Cleveland Cavaliers. It is now uh, halftime, and they're just past halftime at Quicken Loans Arena. The Cleveland Cavaliers are up seventy to forty-seven. Uh, with about nine seventeen left in the third quarter, the NBA is on the uh, TNT tonight for the playoff game. Uh, once again, you can check out our sports stories on ngcsports.com. Be sure to uh, get a live look in at some of the uh, more exciting articles on our site. Uh, highest up right now is NFC West draft grades. I'll go ahead and click on this, and it is written. Oh, it's written by Josh Zimmer. Uh so he goes in, breaks down the Cardinals, the Rams, the San Francisco forty ers as well as the Seattle Seahawks uh draft uh ratings and goes ahead and gives them his grade. We'll also take a look at let's see here. Oh, Chicago Bears draft review by none other than me, Montel Hardy. I'm sure I'm sure John Wherever John is, hello. Can we find John? Uh, by the way, Josh, we'll, we'll find John. Anyways, uh Ball, Six Panelists Clash, Should at Athletes Speak on Social Issues? That's another article uh, by our own Jake Stanley. Anyways, we'll uh, go ahead and bring it back. Remember, you can listen to all our uh, podcasts on NGSEsports.com. You can also look at our most recent articles there, too. Uh, once again, everyone, this is the NGSC Weekly Show on ngs This is NGSE Sports Radio. It's available on iHeart, Spreaker, and iTunes. I'm Montel Hardy. Back to you, Josh.
0: Hey, thank you, Montel. And I'm excited for this one because it's been a while. I hope he dusted uh I hope he dusted the shoulders off a little bit, knocked some of that rust off. We are joined by the CEO, Mr. Ralph Garcia, to talk a little bit of NBA playoffs. Ralph, how are you doing this evening?
2: NBA, not NFL, that's right. Gentlemen, absolute pleasure, and may I say first and foremost, after I reiterate what Montel said, remember where you can catch us at com. That was absolutely fantastic, gentlemen. It's the first time I've heard the update, and I loved it so much, I didn't want Montel to stop.
1: (laughs) Well, you know, I I, I almost did. You know, I try to time myself on these, Ralph. But uh, thanks uh, again. And uh, you know, the one thing is that your you, the IQ, you know, your buddy decided to ditch us today. You know, I don't know what he's doing. Uh, maybe he has a you I know don't a bowling circle. Email
2: said that he was preparing for a show. I took a call that he set us for up for us, and he is MIA at the moment. But let's hope that John is doing okay, and he double hockey sticks has not broken loose and massachusetts where he's at
1: of course of course We're wishing uh john the best i'm sure uh, me and josh just like to poke a little fun at him maybe he's got a sewing circle going on you know maybe somewhere doing some karate you know he's a you know he's a black belt don't you
2: yeah he could be he could be he may have had an appointment now that you made me realize also you mentioned that the cavaliers are crushing the uh, chicago bulls at this moment and the only response i have for that is <clears throat> for real
0: I was just getting ready to say the same thing. You know, when when you look at the first game, the way they played, uh, Montel could probably say it better than anybody, because I'm sure he watched the game a little bit harder than I did. I was watching it as a casual fan, but it looked like they were going to actually pose some sort of legitimate threat. I mean, you, you look at the way that You know, Butler has transitioned from being a six-man last year to basically being an all-star this year. He's going to be a guy. He's going to be a max-type guy, as Montel was saying earlier uh, in some you know broadcast. And the way that Derrick Rose has basically shined, uh, you know, in the first game of this series and even going back to the last series, I'm just like I said, man. It just the wind is knocked out of my sails because I had a free day today. I was like, you know what? I'm going to rock my Bulls gear. They're going to be playing. Maybe I need to change it up. Maybe I just need to not be that type of fan that wears the gear because that could be why we're losing Montel because this was I, – I will say this, this is the first time this series and even this playoff season that I have rocked my Bulls gear when they played. Any other time, whether it be a win or a loss, I wore it afterwards. Uh, so maybe Uh-oh, I – Oh, yeah, that, yeah. Definitely the wrong game. time. You
1: can't break my yeah. team,
0: Maybe I gave us some bad juju, but I, I apologize. But uh, Ralph, you've been—I'm sure you've been keeping an eye on, on the NBA uh, playoffs, as some of us have. Uh, with our three-point take, uh, our new segment that we're calling uh, our NBA coverage, who are some of the teams that really have, have shocked you um, going into this series? Uh, you know, now that we're in the the second round of the playoffs. <laughs>
2: Well, first and foremost, you, you are correct. I have been following the NBA playoffs since they were played on tape delay in the 1970s. There was no such thing as uh, watching the NBA playoffs live, not even the New York Knicks in the New York market. You had to wait till 11.30 Eastern time on CBS so you can watch game one. And it was only the finals, by the way. You, you didn't get to see the playoffs you had to read about them. So the answer was yes. And going into this year, when you started the NBA season, for me, the first thing, and with Montel on the line right now, I'm going to start, since we started talking about the Chicago Bulls and the Cleveland Cavaliers, about the Chicago Bulls. Of course, you know, growing up, the Chicago Bulls were just the Chicago Bulls. There was nothing ever special about the Chicago Bulls till some bald-headed guy came along. I don't remember his name. And he built this dynasty in Chicago. And, you know, Montel, you 're in chicago the, the the fans of Chicago, and by the way, let me say first, as you guys opened up with the draft and everything, what an incredible job with that draft right there in that was i don 't see how an NFL draft has ever held indoors again. I mean, I'm looking at beaches and city parks and mountainous regions. I'm talking about, let's have an NFL draft way up on the highest peak of a a woods you got to climb. Let let all 50,000 people climb a mountain to get up there. That was unbelievable. But back to the playoffs. When the season started, you, you had to, with a hairy, healthy Derrick Rose, pick the Chicago Bulls as one of the favorites. To me, regardless of the fact that LeBron James had made his announcement that he was going back home to Cleveland, that Kevin Love was going with him. He's got Kyrie Irving, and, of course, you've got more pieces that were added on, some guys that went, followed along with him that have been with him. You, of course, any team that LeBron James goes to, you have to make them the favorite. But for me, being a Knicks fan, knowing that my Knicks weren't going anywhere, because they suck, uh, it was the curiosity of where. Would Derek Rose go? Would he get injured again? Would he be, get back there MVP? Well, we know what happened Fast forward now to the playoffs once again. It starts the same thing with the Chicago Bulls. The Chicago Bulls are only going to go as far as a healthy Derek Rose will take them, and it's proven time and time again each time he gets back from the basketball court. The question is, is he going to get hurt again so far? he has not not only has he not got he has gotten hurt but showed in game one, what it means to have your floor general on the floor in the NBA. So, what is so important here is, number one, to keep him he- uh, healthy. There was no surprise whatsoever that did LeBron James and the Lee- Cleveland Cavaliers were, going to come, Cavaliers were going to come back in game two. People are already asking, oh, Lord, what does this mean to Cleveland? Hold on, folks. Everybody wants to get excited after one game. The question here is, so long as Derrick Rose remains healthy, we know what Noah and the rest of the crew. Butler has been fantastic. That's one of those stories where you see a kid, you know, you know you guys were going to discuss Steph Curry as MVP, but taking something from his life, you're too small, you can't this, you might not be able to do that, you may not make this. Well, Jimmy Butler has shown that that doesn't count when it comes to me. And if the Chicago Bulls and Derrick Rose can remain healthy, I still give them a good shot of eliminating LeBron and his Cavs. I
0: hope, I hope you're right, because uh, now that we, and we can keep talking about them as long as we can, because uh, in the time frame that you've been speaking about them, uh, they have now cut the deficit. It's only a 14-point game right now. Uh, with Kyrie on the bench due to cramps, so uh, let, let's keep it let's keep it at that. But uh, you know, I completely agree with you there. I, you know, Montel, uh, like I said, you being the Chicago guy, uh, you knowing more about basketball than I think I have uh, in my entire body. Uh, do you think that Ralph is hitting the home run with this one, or do you think he's swinging and missing uh, with his analysis on the on the Bulls?
1: Well, I I get it. Uh, one thing I would say is I give way to the rest of the team that stepped up in a big way. Uh, Jimmy Butler is essentially going to be the star of this team, and I know that the narrative now is that'll it go as far as Rose will take him, and that makes completely sense. Err, that makes complete sense. But uh, I think um, Rose will be a very good player. Uh, he'll probably continue to be great. I think it takes really a about a year coming off a knee surgery to see what you've got. But in my opinion, Jimmy Butler will be the star of this team. He'll be the guy getting the max contract, this free agency. And so I think now it's about him proving it. Uh, rough go-around tonight, but he's still, you know, got 18 points, uh, shooting very good from the field, uh, also has a couple steals to his name. So he's a two-way, two-way player who's helped his team out a lot. Uh, but, yeah, you're right, Ralph. It's a very deep team, and, and it's I can't say Here's, here's I have how it. I can ask you, Montel. Yep. Here's how I
2: can ask it. You're right there in the post of Chicago, right there with the Bulls. You know what's going on with the Bulls. You hear it every day. It's reported every day. You keep close tabs on your team. I ask you this. You're right as far as the future, but I ask you this right now in this year, 2015, NBA playoffs. Do the Chicago Bulls stand a chance of advancing past the Cleveland Cavaliers and making a run at the NBA title without Derrick Rose, be he 100% or not yet? No. Absolutely. And that's the thing. You're
1: right. And, and that's there. the point I
2: meant, that as far if they have a shot, and they have a shot because think about it. At this point in time, after Rose won the MVP, weren't you and you, weren't you Chicago and the rest of Chicago thinking, all right, now, it's been a while. Now with this guy, we can say it's just a matter of time before we win that title. And I think that by now, a lot of Chicago would say, barring the injuries, that the fans of Chicago would have already expected to have won an NBA title by now. Another one, with Derrick Rose.
1: Uh, but the thing about it is you know point guard led teams you know you you give your point guard the max deal doesn't always result in the title so uh, I I was hoping they get it but then the narrative was Rose doesn't have enough help he doesn't have enough help and then when he got hurt it seems like that's when they had to build around him because they were a bad team you know when he was hurting and not able to play but uh, I, I agree completely with you on that I wouldn't say it's completely about his production, but just him on the court changes the dynamic, and that's what open up, opens up things for, you know, uh, Paul Gasol and, as well as uh, Jimmy Butler. Yeah,
2: and the way your teammates feed off of you. They know when Rose is there, they that's their floor general. Jimmy's their star, but Derek's their floor general. He's their quarterback. And when he's there, that makes the chemistry better for the Chicago Bulls, which in can turn can relate to an NBA title or at least a deep run to it.
1: Exactly.
2: Yeah.
0: And you brought up, uh, Ralph, you brought up a good point uh, when you were talking about Butler and how fantastic he's been. Uh, Another guy who's been just absolutely wiped out this year uh, in any sort of fashion uh, has been Steph Curry, obviously, winning of the MVP. Dub Nation finally gets their MVP, but what we saw last night, they're also going to get tested. Do you think that Steph and only Steph, because it really seems like it's just been Steph Curry, you know, shooting ungodful amount of threes from ungodful amount of angles. Uh, Do you think it's just going to be him? If it's him, can he lead them to the promised land? Or are they going to need help along the way?
2: Well, the NBA, it's basketball. What is basketball? Shooting a ball. Where does the ball go? Into a hole hole has a net. We all know that. The better you are at getting it in there, and the better you are, the further out, the further out, the further out, the more successful you're going to be. When I think about Steph Curry and the NBA season that I just saw, remember that this is a kid who clearly said it to the world not too long ago. He wasn't supposed to be here. He was too small. He was too frail. He just wasn't gonna. just wasn't going to be good enough. So he wound up at Davidson. Put on a little highlight reel for us in the NCAA tournament for a couple of years. It made me think way back. uh, The 1979 NCAA final, of course, still the number one college basketball game, from what I understand. TV ratings ever amazing for how long ago it was, of course, Indiana State, Michigan State, Larry Bird, and Mar- Magic Johnson. I remember watching Magic's rookie year and at the end of the season, when the Lakers won the title, saying, yeah, it, it, what an incredible season that one individual could have. Steph Curry won the MVP, and he won the MVP, and people know Steph Curry because he can shoot a shot from anywhere, just anywhere. But that that's not, for me, what makes Steph Curry the MVP. When I, I spent probably a month, a little phase you could say there, about a couple of weeks ago, I ended about three weeks of film on on this season for Steph Curry. Yes, he can pull up right side, left side, 18 feet, 21 feet. It's not what makes him so special. What makes him so special, he has practiced so hard in his dribbling ability and his ability to break down a defense, a defensive player, to take a defensive, these are professionals, these guys are Paid to do this, and he is taking guys literally off of his feet. He is somewhere, and he's not there. They're going, they're anticipating. They're professionally anticipated. These are men who've been doing this for years, anticipating where he's going to go. And he goes there, mm-hmm. and they can do nothing about it. He gets to the basket. This is a little man who is getting to the basket amongst physical, huge, tall men. And he's finding a way to whether roll, finger roll it in, lay it upright, he'll come down the right side, find a way to reverse it, and make it look so easy, make it look like a circus shot. The dribbling that he has, the ability to dribble, the, the, the show that he's put on dribbling to through two and three men to then pull up to it, 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 again sometimes reminiscent of when Larry Bird was so hot that year in in a game he like scored sixty some odd point sixty points uh, for the Celtics one game and he would. Just step back. He would just kind of dribble the ball back and just go anywhere. It's just like I'm just going to go right here and throw it up. Uh, I'm ten feet away. I'm going to run with the basketball, eight more feet, nine more feet to three point range. Turn around and just throw it up. And Curry has taken all of that, and it's a different kind of dominance. The little man is not supposed to dominate this way, and the guy's taken over. And when it comes to MVPs. <laughs> You break it down and you look at that film, you're talking about a kid who's worked real hard to do things you haven't seen in a long time. And really when it comes to the all-around package of the, the, the ability to dribble, the ability to break down a defense, the ability to penetrate, the ability to take one player off of his feet because he doesn't even know where this kid is or where he's going, that's special.
1: Yeah, no, I mean, Steph Curry's a special player. You, you bet he is. Uh, the way he can dribble, move, and, and get to the basket is special. But MVP, you know, I'm, I'm looking at James Harden. Uh, see, people always love, you know, they talk about Steph's offensive skill set, but Steph Curry's defense is a little on the suspect side to me. Uh, and for a while it was the same way with James Harden, but I saw the strides this year on defense, and, and that's why I was more sold on him as MVP candidate uh played without his running mate, Dwight Howard. I mean, uh but, but both are phenomenal players and I think uh you know I can't uh, I can't wait. I really hope that they really get a face off in a in a series uh this playoff run. But uh, I couldn't agree more. I mean S def a player coming into the draft People looked at him, and, you know, they liked other guys. They liked Johnny Flynn. They liked uh, a lot of other point guards more because they had better physical upside. They had better builds, more muscle, you know. And uh, they always thought Curry would be like his dad, you know, kind of like that three-point specialist off the bench. But Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. he he developed, you know, into the type of player where he's a multi-tool guy. And I think that's something no one really ever expected him to come in and just, you know, play bigger than his size.
2: And and, and I, li- I like what you said when you said Harden, because if there's anybody, anybody I'm going to put after Steph Curry is Harden. Why do I have Harden at two? Here's my argument. Not saying it's right, but for me it's simple. Steph Curry, Golden State Warriors. James Harden, Houston Rockets. Golden State Warriors, 67-15, Houston Rockets. 56-26, 11 games short of an argument. James Harden got it done, yeah. and he got it done mm-hmm. very well. But when it counted, Steph Curry got it done from day one, and his team, because of him, never looked back. Harden couldn't catch him. He he made a valiant effort. That's really my only argument. Not saying it's a real argument, mm-hmm. but the fact
1: mm-hmm. that
2: it was such a big gap it wasn't just like it were even if, if there were a few games apart maybe maybe the Rockets came up two three games short they might be looking like wow without James Harden they would have never made that run but no one ever could so that was my argument.
1: No that, that's fair yeah, that's fair because doing what they did in the west is special especially oh. considering the fact that no one's really doing that in the east <laughs> so uh, I, I completely agree. You
0: know, and the, the one thing that you guys talk about, Steph Curry and James Harden, uh, obviously you have to take into effect their, their playoff stature and how they've played so far this this postseason. One guy who's really kind of starting to come on and really starting to put the team on his back uh, is Blake Griffin. Uh, he's flat out balling. Uh, if anybody didn't catch that game that he had, I uh, believe it was what, a couple of days ago, Montel, um,
2: mm-hmm. dude had a
0: triple-double. Without Chris Paul, uh, you're asking this guy to throw. You're you're asking your big man to throw out assist. not only rebound but and shoot, but assist. And the dude had a triple double. Uh, I believe it was 26, 13, and 14. Uh, that's pretty ungodly numbers uh, for a guy Blake like Blake Griffin at, at the position that he plays.
2: Exactly. Coming from Blake Griffin, a kid, a kid they said that all he was was a highlight. Real that all he could do was dunk, that he could leap, and that's another guy when you talk about, you know, what Steph Curry's done to work himself to MVP status. Some guys do it quicker than others. Maybe Blake Griffin is working his way to that. Maybe next year is his year, because when you look at his all-around game, you know, Griffin came in, okay, if you get him close to the basket or you get him on the run in transition, well, boom, (laughs) he's going to give you a highlight reel. Just let him get close. He's going to give you a a top-ten highlight reel every single game, but more importantly now, what he's done is he's worked on a jump shot. He's worked on an outside game. He's worked on some set shots. He's worked on that uh, to the back game a little bit where he cannot just turn around and just slam it on you because a few feet away. He can make a move on you now. And like we just said, he's got a triple-double. Rebounding should come. I always said, if you're that big, you ain't got no damn reason not to get double-digit rebounds. I can't understand a guy who's 6'10", who averages seven rebounds a game. What the hell? Get him out. Give me somebody who can rebound the ball at 6'10". But when you can throw a triple-double and have assists like that, now that's different when you're able to distribute the basketball, something else that we haven't seen, maybe another element, obviously another element of the game that he's been working on, but now he can distribute as well, which makes up for the fact that look at look at the situation with the Clippers right now. They get a big road win in game one. So now you come to game two right now. Remember they did this without Chris Paul. So now the question is, well, is Paul ready? Well, look at it this way. You might want to look at it this way. When you're playing in the playoffs and your first two games are on the road, What's the objective? Got to get a split. Got to get a split. Basically, the Clippers have already gotten what they wanted. Why not rest Paul? You've seen what they could do without him. If you lose, you don't want to lose. But if you lose, you've gotten the split, and you've given Paul the days of rest. Might work.
1: Yeah, yeah. it might work, and, and I agree with it. And it's uh, it, it's tough because when you look at when you look at what he did to Spurs. He was just cold blooded in that game, Steph. Matter of fact, that whole series, and you know, Ralph, I haven't been watching basketball as long as you have, but that might be the best first round seven game series I have ever seen. That was impressed. Uh, we saw a a, a you know a, a a team that was trying to repeat for the NBA title playoff against a very hungry Clippers team with both a coach and a lot of players that had something to prove, and they just left everything on the court. I mean, I don't, I don't think I've ever seen that in the first round.
2: Not only that, not only that, listen to who you're talking about. Now, the San Antonio Spurs, all the Spurs, like you said, that's a defending NBA champion. And remember, we're talking about a team that walked off the court in game six, and they lost game six. They could have clinched, and they lost it, and they're the ones who walked off the court like, okay, it was game six. You know, been here, done that. We'll be back for game seven. Look at who we're talking about. We're talking about the clip. Not the Lakers. The Clippers! And the Clippers not only don't suck anymore, now the Clippers are got heart. Now the Clippers got game. Now the Clippers are rounding out and letting the rest of the NBA know. You know something? We don't know if we got it yet, but we damn sure are doing a good job of showing that we do. I mean, I love... To see a loser blossom, and we all know, even you guys, they were losers when you were born. They were losers as you were growing up. And trust me, as you know history, they were losers long before you were born. <laughs> and, and it's just wonderful to see it. <laughs> see it.
0: And one, one quick hot take before uh, before we take a quick break, before we get into uh quote-unquote main event of the show... Uh, no pun intended, uh, Montel. We we know how important John Wall is to the Washington Wizards. If this injury holds him out a little bit longer than what they expect, because if nobody if nobody remembers or if they didn't hear, he was scheduled to play, and then moments before tip uh, you know tip off they said no you, you're not playing. Uh, I mean, he was at morning shoot-around and, and, you know, basically all the activities leading up to, uh, you know, leading up to game time. What does this do to the Washington Wizards'
1: playoff hopes if
0: Wall is out more than one or two games?
1: Well, uh, John Wall is a key catalyst to that offense. He's kind of the key to everything they do. He's the energy that drives kind of like the the car that is that team. So uh, it's very important that they have this guy on the court in some capacity. Uh I guess that means the wrist injury is is a little worse than I thought. Uh, first game it happened. it Looked like he kind of shook it off, came back in the game, played okay. Uh, I would have just played him and maybe lowered his minutes. But the fact that they're going to hold him out means that they, they there's something there that needs to heal. Hopefully not. Hopefully he's not dealing with swelling or uh, anything like that. Uh, for his sake, I'm hoping it's some type of bruise or maybe a minor sprain, but. Uh, in either case, this is a big-time precautionary measure, and, you know, it, it means something. So uh, hopefully it doesn't uh, change the series. Uh, they might be uh, strapped to playmakers if he's not on the court. So uh, definitely keep an eye on that. And I don't think he'll hold him out for too long, but just how they'll play uh, in that game now that he's uh, going to be out.
0: Completely, I I agree. Uh, You know, I'm not a big basketball guy, but I I know the big names, and John Wall is a big name. Uh, Obviously, uh, he's one of the main reasons why people are maybe talking about Kevin Durant could be a possible going home type scenario, is because he's going to have that Westbrook-type player next to him in John Wall. But obviously, you know, that's something that we're going to have to keep an eye on. Uh, we're rounding out the first hour of our show, so with that being said, I will throw it back to Montel, and we'll do a quick NGSE Sports update before the break.
1: Hi, I'm Montel Hardy, and this is an NGSE Sports News Break. Just a reminder, you can listen in at NGSEsports.com. Just go to the red talk shoe box to listen to us live. In the news now, the NFL found that it is probable that the New England Patriots personnel deliberately deflated balls during the AFC championship game in January and that quarterback Tom Brady was, quote, at least generally aware of the rules violations, end quote. The findings were released Wednesday in a 243-page report by Ted Wells, a league-appointed attorney who had investigated whether the Patriots deflated balls in their game against the Indianapolis Colts. The Los Angeles Clippers guard Chris Paul will not play in Game Two of the Western Conference Semifinals against the Houston Rockets on Wednesday. Uh, he'll be missing his second straight game because of a strained left hamstring. He's not moving well. Clippers coach Doc Rivers said, "It concerns me, but we have a few uh, we have a couple more days, and we'll see how he is. We'll see how it goes." Be sure to check out NGSC Sports' hottest stories uh, live on NGSCSports.com. If You look at the articles, what's trending now at NGSE. AFC, or I'm sorry, NFC West draft grades by none other than Josh Zimmer. He breaks down Seahawks, Cardinals, Rams and 49ers drafts and gives them a grade, goes through prospect by prospect and talks about his likes and don't, and dislikes and I think it's a good read, so check that out. Also take a look at Blogs with Balls, Six panelists Clash, Should Athletes Speak on Social Issues. That's, a, that's an article written by our uh, newest NBA columnist, Jake Stanley. Uh, he's a good buddy of mine, too. Check out his articles and many, many more at ngse-sports.com Once again... You can listen to us live at NGSCSports.com. You're listening to the NGSC Weekly Flagship Show on NGSE Sports Radio, available on iHeart, Spreaker, and iTunes. I'm Alta Hardy. Back to you, Josh.
0: Hey, thank you, Montel. And, folks, we'll be back right after the break.
2: Destiny Oh, it's the rising sun oh. I was born A shotgun in my hands Behind the gun oh, Almighty
0: ladies and gentlemen, welcome back We are still Joined by the CEO, Mr. Ralph Garcia, and he's going to be now breaking us down with our main event of the show the Manny Pacquiao vs. Floyd Money Mayweather extravaganza that happened this past weekend. Ralph, obviously, this was a hyped fight. I mean, hell, we've been waiting for about five years for this thing. Uh, what were your takeaways from this fight? Because uh I didn't see a whole lot of what I wanted. Uh if I wanted to see Huggin, uh I could have went uh you know, I could have went on and turned on some uh some chick flick type movies, uh, if I wanted to see that. I wanted to see some blood and boxing. Uh what's up? <laughs>
2: that's that's the I'm getting not a lot, uh from uh opinions all across The world basically, and I'm starting to wonder about the if we put it into an age category. uh, I'd like to know, and the reason I'm saying is because yes, fighting is fighting. Uh, One of the reasons I think MMA was brought about another idea, as well as you know, two guys or two gals beating the crap out of each other, and basically, you know, that in these fights from round one until the end, until submission. Somebody or both are going to get their ass kicked pretty bad. And remembering fights of yesteryear, the first thing I wanted to say that I haven't heard or haven't felt or didn't feel before this fight happened was the worldwide anticipation of the fight. I remember when Sugar Ray Leonard was going to fight Thomas the Hitman Hearns. Oh, man. Oh, yeah. I mean it. The, the the world, you know, and I it couldn't wait. The the boxing world couldn't wait. Uh you, you know, you can come up with others, the hitman and Marvin Hagler. Uh you know, back then in the days, you know, when Muhammad Ali fought whether Jimmy Young, Joe Frazier, Ken Norton, Ernie Shavers, and there's the difference and you hear me and I can continue on. Jimmy Young and I can go into the light heavyweight division and remember champions like Marvin Johnson, uh, Matthew Franklin, who later became Matthew Saad Muhammad, Dwight Braxton, who later became Dwight Muhammad Kawi. These were light Victor Galindez, these light heavyweight champions. I can go on and on. And what I'm the point I'm making is, you can't do that today. You, you can't you, you forget this fight. Ever happen? Are we talking about boxing? No. Why are we not talking about boxing? Because boxing isn't boxing anymore. Back then, it was the WBA or the WBC, or you were the undisputed champion. Along came the IBF and the WBO. And <laughs> I don't even, try, I'm not going to try to guess the rest. So when you watch <laughs> boxing, the main thing about boxing is, is fighters have styles. Styles don't change. That's what makes you the fighter that you are. As you watch watched Floyd Mayweather's career, Floyd Mayweather Jr.'s career, and let me go on record as saying, I don't like the brother. I ain't never liked him. I ain't mad at him. But I'm not with the way he does things in his personal life. And I ain't with all the flashy stuff although that's his persona and that's his, That's what makes... That's his brand. That's what makes his brand. But if you pay attention to every single fight that Money Mayweather's ever fought, it's never changed. He proved that he can be considered an a-hole, and all the bad words you can call him. And I've been watching boxing since the beginning of my time that I can remember in the 60s. Loved it. And could name you all the champions their styles and what made them big. What what makes Floyd Mayweather Jr. is that he is, in fact, at least in my lifetime, the greatest defensive fighter that there has ever lived. I have never seen a man who can take his arms and his shoulders and put them in positions where you can't hit him in his face, nor can you hit him in his body. You ask Josh what happened. People were waiting for a bloodbath. First and foremost, we're learning that Pacquiao's shoulder has a tear, enough that it needs surgery, which means there was damage to it before the fight started. Obviously, it got worse as the fight went along, where it now needs surgery. Of course, to me, I say that's on you because you should have reported it. You don't check the no box. You check the yes yes box. But the idea of the fight was for, or the expectation was for Pacquiao to do what he has always done, talking about his style, aggressiveness, taking the chance to take punches. Pacquiao has no problem coming in close to his opponent, knowing that he is going to absorb blows and possible punishment so that he can get his point across, meaning his flurry of punches. He's known as an active fighter, hands always busy, feet always busy, spends a lot of energy in the ring, but a man, of course, who's well-trained, so he has the stamina. He has proven that as well. Of course, lately as time has gone by, as is with every fighter or any athlete, time catches up to you. Time catches up to you so much that Pacquiao found himself straight on his ass and life changed for him. He was no longer the invincible Pac-Man. The fight was supposed to happen years ago, and money says that it was planned so that he could get the fight. Uh, You know what? Don't run that crap by me. But you know what? sounds good, so let's say it's true. The fight did happen years too late. But the fight that Money Mayweather fought this past Saturday was no different than the fight he would have fought five years ago because he wasn't going to knock out Pacquiao five years ago. He wasn't going to do anything different. What he proved here, and you think about stats, they talk about, uh, power punches number of punches thrown number of punches landed the percentage that you get from that percentage of power punches landed. How about the percentage of punches that you allow your opponent to land on you in an average fight? opponent can land about between twenty eight and thirty two percent of their punches, just a regular normal fight if you can hold your opponent to landing twenty five percent a quarter of his punches you are considered a defensive fighter. If you can hold him into the low 20s, you are considered an excellent defensive fighter. Floyd Mayweather Jr. holds his opponents to about a little over 18% connect percentage against him. In other words, he doesn't get hit. Manny Pacquiao averaged an even lower percentage than that. How much did the shoulder play in? I'm not going to talk about the shoulder because Manny didn't want to bring it up, so we're not going to use the shoulder as an excuse. You knew what you <laughs> had to do. The most important thing about this fight, when you watch this fight and you analyze the fight and you see that Pacquiao, for some reason, he was supposed to use the double jab. as has a move with Freddie Roach in which they use the double jab that will lead to a, le- a straight left hand uses it as a decoy. He uses that very effectively over his career, even though fighters know it's coming. It's one of those weapons where, well, you know it's coming, but you can't stop it. Uh, He's been able to use his footwork in order to set up that right hand and use that right hand to then come across with his left hook, straight left or left uppercut. That has to be set up by the right hand. Obviously, the right hand wasn't working because we didn't see it be thrown. Nonetheless, the question is this. Let's just say there was no tear, There was nothing, and he was healthy. I'm here to tell you guys that the fight would have been no different because Floyd Mayweather proved this to any person that knows boxing who watches it very closely over the years. You cannot hit him. People wanted to know, why didn't Pacquiao do this? Why couldn't he do this? He should have done this. What if he would have? But I don't hear a lot of people saying, because Floyd didn't let him. Do you not think that Manny was in the ring thinking, even though I'm hurt, I have got to unleash you. If you watch the fight closely, you will see Manny Pacquiao set to throw that right hand. Well over, I counted, stop counting, maybe over forty, fifty times where he set to throw the right hand. Floyd was no longer there, or Floyd was in a position where Manny was unable to hit him. Cannot waste the punch. He's hurt. It showed plain and simple. Though Floyd is out of his rabbit ass mind when he says he's the greatest of all time because he ain't even in my top 20, 25, or 30 off the top, he is the greatest defensive fighter of all time, and he proved it right there. And if they fight again or whoever he fights, he's going to prove it again. And you've got to give the guys props because until, what do they say? You can talk about me. You can say what you want. You don't like me. You don't want beat me. And nobody's been able to. Yeah. Um,
1: yeah, I agree completely when I look at this. Uh, first off, Ralph, I mean, you don't have to beat around the bush about it. They they hoodwinked us. Well, they didn't hoodwink me, but they, they tricked everyone. You know, I mean, I'm not going to say that this has been planned five years ago, but this fight was deliberately held off could have been deliberately held off, Uh, and and now people get to see it. And, you know, I got, you know, my my barber, I had to make a special appointment with him last week because he told me he was going down for Vegas for the fight, you know. (laughs) Like everybody was trying to get down there, whether you were actually in the MGM Grand or you were somewhere, you know, an off-site location maybe doing some betting. And uh, the fight itself, first off, you have to realize that if you haven't seen a Mayweather fight before and you're expecting some type of slugfest, then you probably just shouldn't have watched because, it's, you know, you just you know, you know don't know what you're watching. Uh, Floyd is a defensive fighter, as you said, and he did not, uh, you know, uh, put on a, the most amazing show, but he is a great tactician. He is a great defensive boxer, and I think that's what you saw in the ring uh, that night. And one thing I would say, though, is that the entire time, Pacquiao was hurt. And he was dumb enough to make an excuse and say, "Hey, you know, they denied me an injection to my shoulder before the matchup, before the fight." And and the reason why um, he the reason why he was uh, you know uh, banned from doing it is because he didn't clear it with anyone prior to that night. And the reason why he didn't clear it with anyone prior to that night is because it would have required an MRI, and they would have found out that there was a tear. And if the tear gets out, they would have to postpone it further. And let's be honest, maybe this fight never really happens, <laughs> you know. So, because uh, torn rotator covers a serious injury, we're talking uh, at least maybe a six month rehab. And then you get back in the boxing shape, hopefully somewhere. Uh, so it, it would have pushed everything back further. Uh, the fight itself, uh, I wasn't shocked. Uh, as far as Floyd Mayweather himself, uh, I am not a big fan of him at all. I think he's an absolute fool. I think, uh, you know, he's flashy, though. He's got his own brand of style, but uh, just not very, uh, not much of a class act. Uh, but, and I would have, you know, none of would have wanted to see more than to see him get put on his behind, but I knew, man, he wasn't going to do it. But if he, if he was, it would have been five years ago. He was hot. He was confident. He was faster five years ago. Hand speed was still good in the ring. But if you look at Pacquiao, uh, you know, some of those uh, Torres fights, he had fights uh, somewhere in the um, uh, later uh, 2009 area. He was he was a lot quicker than that, believe it or not. But, uh, you know, I guess it is what it is. We finally saw it, and it's over. And uh, the only thing I have to say now is, you know, I'll leave the, the, the rematch to you guys. I don't want to see a rematch. You want to go to Vegas again? You want to go to Philippines, wherever, see that? You do that. I'm good. <laughs> i have seen all I need to see, and I don't think the product will get any better in a year from now.
2: And I should say real quick that uh, for the listeners out there, you know, we want to give you as much as we can. as uh, boxing. We're throwing in the mix here, of course, on the flagship show. If you want to read some more on my breakdown of the fight, of course, you log on to NGSEsports.com. I wrote up a little article there, Money Wins Fight. Is he great as ever? Well, I've already answered that. You guys can, of course, read and put your comments on there. And uh, real soon, I'm going to go ahead and come out with another one and basically going to talk about the history of the of boxing, guys. I'm telling you, I live in a time where, you know, these great fighters fought three times a year. <clears throat> Excuse me, they fought the greatest of the great. When you looked at the top ten in the heavyweight division, the light heavyweight, the middleweights, the welterweights, the lightweights, when you looked at those, you, 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 the top ten were contender legitimate top ten consent, contenders. You had tournaments that would lead up to title elimination fights that led, of course, to the to the title. You might be fighting the the the, 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 the holder of the world boxing council title, and now he's going to fight the WBA, the world boxing association champion. They're going to unify the title. Throw in the these days, it's not there. So I'm going to write up a little something that talks about how boxing used to be, how we hoped it, what we hoped it would become, and unfortunately what it has become or has not become and what it looks like. It may not be much longer.
0: You know, Ralph, I wanna, I'm going to chip in uh, now and give you guys my two cents after I let you two duke it out a little bit. Uh, You know, the first thing that I'm going to, you know, basically talk about uh, is the shoulder. Uh, As much as we don't want to talk about it, uh, I'm going to be that guy. Uh, Obviously, uh, now, uh, I can attest, um, I do not agree with Manny Pacquiao's stance on this whatsoever at all. Uh, I find it ludicrous and, uh, you know, a bunch of BS. I have had shoulder injections uh, it does not do a, a darn thing uh, to get a cortisone shot. Um, if you really think getting a cortisone shot was going to help you through a what was it a twelve round fight, good luck. Um, it this, doesn't this work. Guy Josh, a, has
1: had sp- any type of surgery, every type of sprain. <laughs> Dude, man, that's you know that's the thing is
0: I've had you know I've I've had the knee injury and I've had you know I've had shoulders and that's the one thing that I can easily take away from it is. If, and mine wasn't even a, a rotator cuff, it was a labrum. But if you really think that a cortisone shot is going to help you through a 12-round through a fight, good luck, because it doesn't even help you through 20 minutes of a game. Because the only thing it's basically doing is, it's, you know, it's an anti-inflammatory slash inflammatory. Uh, basically, you're just pumping fluid in there so that it builds up pressure, that it numbs, your, numbs the nerves, but it, it doesn't work. Because the moment you take a shot to it, or the moment you move it the wrong way, uh, basically the money that you just wasted in the the pain that you just went through to take, to get that shot, because it's not a, it's not one of you know, it's not like getting a getting your flu shot. They use a pretty hefty needle. If anybody's had a cortisone shot before, it's about a four or five inch long needle, and it, all of that basically goes down the drain the moment you take, it, take a shot. So Ooh. if if they are really thinking that that was going to be the case, then they immediately should have called the fight off right then and there. If it was that bad to where he had to have, not need, but had to, you know, had to have a cortisone shot, he was not ready to fight. And you could you could see it. Um, I'm not a big boxer. I didn't know his shoulder was hurt, but, you know, I was smart enough to to, to go out and look at, people who were dumb enough in to record it four or five times and post it online, you could tell after the report came out, I went and watched it. He didn't throw very many right jabs, if any. Um, you could tell that shoulder was in a lot of pain. So obviously that hindered his ability to be the fighter that he normally was. Who knows? If he would have had you know the right and the left, could have been a different fight. We, we're not going to know. Uh, but... Money Mayweather has already came out and said that he is open to a fight. He's open to a rematch. Now, do I really want to pay the $100? No. No, because it's going to be the same spectacle that's going to be put on uh, that we we saw this past weekend, and that's $100 that I could never get back. No matter how much money I, I make, that's $100 I'm never going to get back because that was a complete waste of $100. Um Especially in the aftermath to find out that one of the fighters is hurt now it would have been a different story if he got hurt during the fight as bad as it sounds we as the people would have enjoyed that because that would have meant that some action was going on I think that's one of the reasons why boxing is dying and MMA is starting to grow is because it's a constant act of violence for the five minutes that you fight you know you have three five minute rounds you're not playing touchy feely or hugging each other for five minutes. You're you're gonna try and knock their teeth out or snap their arm or or whatever, or have them go out during that five minute span. So I think that could be Ralph another reason why boxing is starting to die a little bit is because uh, people don't necessarily maybe see the art behind it anymore. Because it is it's an art. Uh, you know, to fight in the UFC, you just basically. All else put, you got to be a badass, and you got to be willing to knock people's teeth out and snap their arms and have no remorse. I, I don't think you could find a, a boxer going to the MMA and have success because it's it's an art. It's not really, it's considered sport, but for me, I consider it more of an art because you do have to have some sort of style if you want to be successful. Your take on on Money Mayweather's style. Um, You know, obviously, these are just hot takes coming from a guy who watches UFC weekly. I don't think I've missed a pay-per-view. So that that could be it. But, again, um, for what the people wanted to see from a a fight that was so hyped up, I do believe that we are going to see a second one just because of the the two reasons. Number one, people, I believe, in, in Mayweather's camp, number one, he ain't afraid to make more money. And I really don't think he's afraid to, to risk it all to try and beat Rocky, Mar, you know, Rocky Marciano's record uh, and be the legitimate, undisputed uh, greatest fighter to ever go down in the history of boxing. Um, that's going to be the, the two keys. The third key is going to be from Pacquiao's camp, saying, hey, we didn't have an even fight, we were hurt. And that's going to make the people you know again get interested and get hyped up like we've been hyped up for the last 5 years on this thing but toward the you know at the end of the day we're not going to get we are not going to get a Mike Tyson type fight where you know you're having a dude get his ear bit off or you're having a dude lay on the canvas um it's going to come it's going to go the full 12 rounds well,
2: you know we got to see now as you mm-hmm. just Is is there going to be another super fight? Oh, can't wait to see if that's going to happen. And and I think one thing that we should bring up. I think
0: one thing that we should bring up with it too is what about these perjury charges that Pacquiao could potentially be facing because he lied on the basically he lied on the on the health application. Uh, There are multiple reports out there saying he could face perjury charges, which is jail time for lying that he wasn't not hurt when he knew that he was. Obviously, he wouldn't have been pushing as hard to get these cortisone shots. Uh, I think that's going to be the big key on whether or not how long this fight takes. Because I think at the end of the day, I mean, Mayweather has already came out and said, I'll fight him a year after he a year after he's healed. Uh, well, if he's going to fight him a year after he's healed, then I think they're going to hold up the same stipulations that the first fight were, because I mean, either way, look at what Manny, Pac- Manny Pacquiao walked away with eighty four million dollars. Yeah, I, I'll get my ass handed to me for twelve rounds to take twelve, you know, to take eighty four million dollars home. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. So I don't think they're I don't think they're going to wait as long as that. But the big wait could come with these perjury charges. I think that's the bigger, I think that's the bigger roadblock than the surgery. You know, than they're recovering from the surgery is to figure out whether or not you know, the Boxing Association and Commission are going to charge him and Pacquiao's camp with perjury.
1: Well, I think this isn't the most ethical group of people we're talking about. I mean, these people gave uh you know, Floyd his license with his boxing license with no real issue, uh, giving him domestic violence issues he's had in the past, uh the criminal uh investigation into, you know, his life and all that, they dismissed all of it for the for the sake of money. Uh to me it's about can they win the battle of uh, public opinion? Uh people were very disappointed in the fight, a lot of people for the wrong reasons because they don't understand what type of fighter Floyd Mayweather is, others just because Manny wasn't as good as everyone thought they were, and then just there's a small percentage like me who just wanted to see Floyd lose, and they didn't, so they're done with it. <laughs> so uh, I just don't, I don't think people want to see it again. You know, you can do it again, fine. This year I think they grossed, you know, with sales revenue, you know, promotion, all that, you know, somewhere in the range of $300 million. They won't hit that number if they do it again. They won't. They they might. They'd be lucky to get half that. And that's saying with all the promotion in the world, everything else. It, I just don't see how people are that excited to see this matchup again, knowing the whole time that no one's going to get knocked out. Floyd, at an early point in his career, was knocking people out. Then he realized he didn't have to do it, so he stopped. And and, and Mayweather no longer, or, and I'm sorry, and uh, Pacquiao no longer has the, uh, well maybe the power. I mean, coming off that uh, rotator cuff injury to do it. So. I mean, I don't think I don't think people want to see it again. I mean, they might go, they might spend the money, but it's it's not going to have that transcendent feel on this year or on this month the way this uh, this time did this fight did, and and, and I just uh, I just doubt they sell in the same way. Yeah.
0: and I will and I will say this. Uh, I was you know again, I was part of the crew that was disappointed, but not because of you know, the type of fight that I saw, because I was one of those people that knew how Mayweather fought, because, number one, it's been televised, you know, publicly for the last couple of years on what type of fighter he is. Uh, but I was morally disappointed on the fact that, again, you know, and again, we had to learn it in the aftermath, but with Pacquiao being hurt, he didn't really become the type of person, you know, I really thought that this fight was going to w- wage on whether or not, you know, money could stay with his game because Pacquiao is not that defensive type of fighter. He's a go get him, go get him, go get him. He's looking for the knockout, but with the power that he didn't have, you know, only fighting with one shoulder, he didn't have that. So it really played into Floyd's hands. But I will say this, Ralph, uh, and again, this is just coming from a guy who who leisurely watched it a couple times. I was kind of surprised looking toward round 10 and round 11, where it really looked like, money was putting a little bit more oomph behind those punches it it appeared to me that he was looking for a knockout um
2: yeah yeah. at at that at that point he knows he's got the fight he's no he knows he's won and he knows he knows something else he knows that in order to lose he has to get knocked out he also knows that pacquiao is unable to knock him out so what is there left to do Let me put on a little bit of a show right here, and let's see if I can just reach back to yesteryear and pop this guy a couple of times and see what it does. But, you know, you had to do it. You had to try it. So why not?
1: Yeah.
0: You know, and I I completely agree with you. Um, But, uh, again, it's a spectacle that we're going to have to wait on and i'm i'm right there with you montel i'm not waiting uh when it happens i'll be more than happy to to watch it if it's reasonably priced i'm not going to pay the hundred dollars to watch it like we did this past weekend um no not at all not if i'm knowing what i'm going to be getting myself into um so i'll, I'll wait you know I'll, I'll be the casual guy and i will root for floyd just because i do like seeing perfection i think that is something that's phenomenal. Uh, at any sporting uh, event, whether what sport it may be, whether it be tennis, whether it be underwater polo, I really don't care. Uh, Perfection is is awesome to see. And so if he's able to beat Rocky Marciano's record, uh, in my opinion, he will go down as the greatest fighter ever. And I hope, depending on his style, and I know people don't like his style, that he could be the type of fighter that goes down that road that, you know, people can finally start taking appreciation for it. You, you,
2: you, 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 want to say the greatest fighter in your lifetime, and I can, and I can go with that. But I will tell you, go back YouTube, sit down for. Uh, well, I, I was about to say. I mean, yeah,
1: down Lewis, for a little
2: while Mike he, Tyson.
1: Roy Jones. I was a huge Roy Jones Jr. fan. So I can't say he's the greatest. I mean, statistically, yes, but not.
2: Yeah, no. I I don't
1: know. I I was a big power knockout. I liked my bigger heavyweight guys, you know. uh, So I guess not my favorite, but from a statistical standpoint, I mean, sure. It's, it's, It's
2: something, gentlemen. It's been fun.
0: Yeah, Ralph, it's been great to have you coming on. And, and of course, any time that we can get the CEO to shed some knowledge on boxing, as I'm sure they call it in the in the Northeast, um, it's greatly appreciated. But with that, we'll say adieu and have yourself a good evening. And thank you for coming on.
2: All right, gentlemen, have a great one. It's been a pleasure. Everybody, have a great evening, and thanks for enjoying the show. Have a great one, guys. Have a great ending to the show. Bye-bye.
0: Hey, thank you, Ralph. Bye-bye. All right, well, hey, there we go, uh, Montel. Like I said, man, I completely agree with you. Um, you know, uh, <laughs> I texted my young know, text between my dad right now, and he, uh, my phone's blowing up about Money Mayweather. Uh, he, I'm sure, him and Ralph would get along just fine uh, with their stances on you know on the, some of the things that he's done out of the ring uh, in his personal life. But uh, nevertheless, always great to get uh, to get a little bit educated. Uh, when the CEO gets a chance to come on and, and really show some of that knowledge that he has.
1: Absolutely. It's always a great day when we can have Ralph join us, uh especially to discuss something such as boxing. Uh something that's uh, definitely a lost art in our generation, but you know, something that really should make a comeback. But you know, we'll see where that goes. But yeah, it was great converse, you know, conversing with him, talking about the the matchup and uh the fallout from the Mayweather Pacquiao fight. Uh, you know, it's a shame we had to wait this long and get this excited about it, but now that it's over, you know, I can't help but think maybe this will be like the last boxing match we'll we'll really look forward to like this maybe ever. So, yeah,
0: I I agree with you, man. And I I want to bring this one last tidbit before we throw it to our last break. Uh my dad text my dad's uh obviously a huge fan of ours. Uh, he listens to our show every week uh when he has the opportunity to and he just texted me Uh, When we were talking about the pricing, because like I said, I'm not going to pay $100 to watch that fight. Uh, No way on God's green earth, because I I watched the first one, because we paid $100 for the first one. Uh, He texted me and says he thinks it should be free, because, and I quote, because I think they both knew about the shoulder and knew it was going to be an opportunity to make more money.
1: I, I yeah, that... they they knew. Exactly. And and your dad, he he's dead right here. Because everyone wants to go into it. You know, Stephen A. Smith said on the show, well, how do you know the, the shoulder didn't get hurt during the fight? It wasn't hurt during, during the fight. Pacquiao was just bad. He, he was just bad before the fight because he was hurt that day. You know, and now they're going to try to spin it like Mayweather and Pacquiao didn't knew They knew. They they knew he was hurt. They they knew I, they had to know because in order to be able to box, there's a series of tests you have to pass, and also you have trainers, you have handlers, you have people close to you that know how you're feeling physically. So they knew what was up, and and that's why they said, you know what, let's give the people what we want, let's wait forever, and let's do this. I mean, so they can't they can't sell us on that, and it ought to be free. It really ought to because they took. Uh, money out of a lot of people's pockets. There are people here who, in all seriousness, have bills to pay who were in Vegas last week living a life that they know who they are not about. So, yeah, <laughs> no, they they, they definitely uh, deserve to do something to the fans' benefit.
0: I completely agree with you. And, and hell, why not? Let's start a petition and say, hey, we're going to have this next fight. Let's, let's make sure it's free. Or at least, or why not? How about this? If we have to pay... You know, instead of the money going to their pocket, and again, uh, my my dad fired back at me saying the reason also it should be free is because they made $300 million, and that's not going to any charities. That's going to their pocket. So this brings me to my last take before I'll throw it to you for a break. If we do have to pay for this fight, instead of it going to the pockets of Money Mayweather and Manny Pacquiao, let's donate it to some type of charity. Why not donate it to ALS Research? Why not donate to cancer research? Millions of different venues or revenues or alleys, whatever people want to kind of quote that as, that they could go down, that would be much better for the people rather than these guys making $300 million uh, off of and, one fight. And, that really and that's
1: another that's another valid point, Josh. Uh, there's plenty of uh, nonprofit organizations, worldwide organizations that could use their help. But see, the problem with that is that that would be a noble cause, and Mayweather and Pacquiao are not noble people. <laughs> so I just I don't see a scenario where they do something that's selfless and, and altruistic.
0: Yeah, I completely agree with you, man. Uh, we just wrapped up the half hour of the second hour on our show. We'll be getting ready to jump into the last half hour of the show where we'll be taking our turn to We'll be taking a look at some MLB baseball action. Then, of course, uh, we cannot talk about the ice. We have to talk about what's going on on the ice in the NHL playoffs as round two has officially begun in the chase to hoist Lord Stanley's Cup. But before that, Montel, I'll go ahead and toss it to you for a quick NGSC sports update.
1: Sure, and thanks, Josh. I'm Montel Hardy, and this is another NGSC sports break. Just a reminder, you can listen in at NGFCsports.com. Just go to the red talk shoe box and listen to us live. The NFL found that it is probable that the New England Patriots personnel deliberately deflated balls during the AFC Championship game in January, and that quarterback, Tom Brady, was, quote, at least generally aware, end quote, of the rules violations. The findings were released Wednesday in a 243-page report by Ted Wells the league-appointed attorney who investigated whether the Patriots deflated balls in their game against the Indianapolis Colts. The Los Angeles Clippers guard Chris Paul will not play in game two of the Western Conference semifinals against the Houston Rockets tonight. Uh, He'll be missing a second straight game because of a strained left hamstring. He's not moving well, Clippers coach Doc Rivers said. It concerns me, but we'll have to wait a couple more days, and we'll see. Uh, of course, this matchup takes place tonight, and you can take a look at all of our articles online at Uh Trending now here on the homepage, of Blinds with Balls, Six Panelists Clash, Should Athletes Speak on Social Issues? This is a very intriguing article by our own Jake Stanley, who was at the event himself, witnessed the panel, and also has a few tweets included in his article. He's been doing some excellent work here on NGSEsports.com. Another article, if you go to our homepage, is the uh, NFC West West, uh, draft grades written by uh, my other host, Josh Zimmer. Check it out. Breaks down all four teams' picks, uh, predictions, also talks about the value uh, from his board relative to who they took. You can find these articles and many, many more on our homepage at NGSCSports.com. Once again, you're listening to the NGSC Weekly Flagster Show on NGSC Sports Radio, available on iHeart, Spreaker, and iTunes. I'm Anto Hardy. Back to you, Josh.
0: Hey, thanks, brother Mountain And hey, now it's time to turn two, right? Uh, we're going to be getting into some MLB baseball action, uh, most notably, if uh, you've had a chance to watch a couple games or, or even highlights on Sports Center, what the hell are they putting in the water in Houston? <laughs> Ten two in their last 12 games. I don't remember the last time the Houston Astros were relevant in baseball. It's it's been that long since they have had you know basically I, I believe they're at least the hottest team in baseball right now. Now, uh, you, you look at 10 and 2. Granted out of those 12 games, they were 10 straight and then they've lost their last two, but nonetheless 10 and 2. Uh Jose Altuve batting 348 and Jed Lowry their shortstop batting 300. Uh Are the Astros finally relevant?
1: Uh I would say they are. Um I think they've been very good at this point, you know, 18 and 9 on the season. Uh, and they just really uh, hammered the Texas Rangers in their last matchup. Just three-hitter, tagged them with nine runs. I mean, this is a team that's confident, that's playing hot. Uh, and also, they're doing a lot of different things. A little the way the team is, you know, constructed, you know, this year's team. And not a lot kind of blows you away. That's the biggest thing is, you know, where's the star power? Do they pass the eye test? No, but they can defend. You know, Luis Valbueno, uh holding down the infield. You know, you got... Uh, Kobe Rasmus in the outfield, and a guy Gattis, the catcher Chris Carvey in the outfield, you know, so they do some things uh, defensively that make it harder for these guys to get that extra base hit, get that single, stretch into a double, you know, so those things you can't really do against the team. And the funny thing about it is I read an article about a year ago that the Houston Astros ticket sales were doing good, and they were kind of gaining fans, and people were becoming more and more interested in this organization. And I'm thinking, you know, why? Because this time, well, not this time, but maybe – um, towards the summer last year, they're playing terrible, you know, and I was just like, okay, cool, I guess, <laughs> you know, but I guess people people were hip before we were, and they saw some potential in this team and, and what it can become.
0: Well, well, you can't say, uh, arguably, the face of that team is George Springer, uh, you know, obviously the outstanding uh, rookie outfielder, but he hasn't been playing that well. Now, he's batting 158 right now, obviously struggling, but you look at Jose Altuve at 348 on, uh, that's one of the tops in, in the entire AL, in the entire American League. Um, I'm completely surprised by them. Obviously, we, we can't put too much hope in it now, right, because it's only May. Now, obviously, we have until basically the end of September, or maybe even I'd say the middle of August, to really start giving them a little bit more love and say, you know what, yeah, they're contending. But right now, if, if we had to play, you know, if we were on ESPN and we were going to play a game of contenders or pretenders, I'd say right now that the Astros are pretenders just because a 10-2 and 2 stretch does not necessarily mean that they're going to be playing great baseball for the rest of the year. Uh, I am still waiting to be sold by them, although I am extremely impressed that they have gone 10-2 and 2 in the last 12. Uh, I can't stop saying it. I've said it four times already. 10-12, 10-2 in their last 12. <laughs> when was the last time we could say that about the Houston Astros? Um, but – did you get a chance to see any highlights today on Bryce Harper? Because if you didn't, you probably should. Uh, he had basically a coming-out party for the 2015 season, and he had himself three dingers, and they weren't short ones either, uh, 404, 431, and 441. And the 441 was upper deck. Uh, if you've ever had a chance to see the ballpark that the Washington Nationals play in, it's not a small ballpark, oh, oh it's Actually, down the right field line. Um is this finally Bryce Harper's coming out party? We've been waiting to say that. I know fans around the world who have been basically watching this kid since he was a high schooler at, at 16 years old when he was on the cover of Sports Illustrated. Everybody was waiting for this kid to have that coming out party. Is this officially the year that we can kind of say, you know what, hey, Bryce is finally here? Because if people forget, he did come in the same draft class as Mike Trout and uh, if I remember right, I think Mike Trout might be the bigger name in baseball right now.
1: You know, you said it exactly, Josh. Uh, Trout has basically suppressed him in every way possible up to this point, even though Harper was the bigger pick. See, no one wants to talk about that Harper also went to the weaker team, the team that didn't have Albert Pujols, the team that, you know, was a National League team, the team that, uh, you know, obviously doesn't have the DH, doesn't have the lineup with the same juice, plays in more, uh, you know, different uh, – uh, Parson might ne- not necessarily be Hitters Park and and you know, I mean it just different surroundings. But I think the bottom line here is uh Harper's doing his thing, he's coming up. Uh, obviously I can't have too much of a knee jerk reaction from one game. You put together a season and then you can say you're every bit as good as Mike Trout but uh, this is a step in the right direction. I think the Nationals knew when they got this guy, no matter what, that his floor was fine, that he was going to be a serviceable player. It's just a matter of whether he'll be that transcendent superstar that this team kind of hoped they would get. So uh, this this game was uh, one step in that direction.
0: Exactly. And, and hopefully this game, again, like you said, right step in the direction, hopefully he keeps taking those steps in the right direction. Although he's batting two fifty seven, which is really great, You know, it's considered, you know, partially average. You know, most hitters are hitting around 300. He's only had two home runs all season uh, until today, obviously. He is now at five as as a total. We need to see that stretch for them because, like you said, he did go to the weaker team. I mean, (laughs) the most notable star on the Washington Nationals in terms of a hitter was Ryan Zimmerman. Uh, But the actual face of that franchise was a guy who was coming off Tommy John surgery in Steven
1: Strasburg. Strasburg, absolutely.
0: You know, and you look at some of the pieces they've added to that bullpen. You know, they all, you know, they have Ross Detwater. Uh, they added, uh, was it Max Scherzer, I believe, this offseason. They, they're finally mm-hmm. starting to, to really connect the dots and solidify that team to where, when we were talking about the previews a month ago, this could be a team that we're looking for in the middle of September. Uh, I will be more shocked if the Nationals are there than the Astros. And after the way we talked about the Astros about five minutes ago, that kind of sets the level of expectation that I think not only myself, but a lot of fans and maybe some analysts have for this team this year. Um,
1: yeah, then, you know, pretty... they struggled out the gates. I mean, this is a team that's supposed to be you know pitching with the strength. You have Scherzer, you have Fisher, you have uh, Fister, you have Strasburg. You know, and they have one of the better uh, starting uh, rotations in baseball, but they haven't been that great to this point. Absolute zero in terms of quality starts so far this season for the Washington Nationals. Believe it or not, so uh, there's been a lot more stress placed on these hitters this year. Uh, out the gates, they just have to provide more, and now they're you know battling. I think they're 14 and 15 this year. Uh, until those hitters hit their, or those pitchers hit their stride, uh, this, this is going to be a team that you know struggles to get some runs across the board. Uh, good for them though; they're just 13th in the league in runs, so they're doing. Okay, even though I'm not batting a very high. Athlete.
0: Exactly, and in this next this next hot take is for all the Chicago Cubs fans out there. All right, people, I understand we've been struggling for a long ass time. It's been a hundred plus years, but I'm I'm telling you right now, patience is a virtue, but it's also the key for this season. Don't get down on the Cubs. You know, obviously, one and four in the last five games. Obviously, that's not very good. Especially when you look at the Central, when the St. Louis Cardinals are running at twenty-eight and six, you're already six games back. You know, at twelve and thirteen. You know, but your two stars, your future, the guys that you're building around are are batting fairly well. You know, you called up two rookies this year. You know, and Chris Bryant, who obviously is a superstar uh, in the making. Uh, I think Cubs fans might think he's already a superstar, although he's yet truly played a full year. Not doing too bad. He's batting 283, although he is only batting 158 in his last seven, um, with six strikeouts. But Addison Russell, this second baseman, man. I don't. I know you being in Chicago. I'm sure the, the tabloids and the papers are, are might be a little bit loaded with this kid, although you are a White Sox fan. Um, this kid's kind of starting to heat up a little bit. 389 with two dingers in his last seven games. Uh, batting 261 on the season. Obviously, he had a, a a transition, you know, having six strikeouts before he kind of got himself comfortable. But you look at it now, he's batting 387, you know, in his last seven. Two dingers. And this is a guy who, if you go back and look at some of the evals and scouting reports that people have done on this kid when he was in the minors, this is a kid that they said, didn't possess a lot of power, well, the two home runs he had I actually looked up four fourteen and four twenty four now that might be average for home run you know in the major leagues, but for a second baseman who who's lifted as not having and i quote not a lot of power uh, that's some pop, but I know we can't continue to talk about my cubs without getting your white sox in so what's going on with the white sox? I saw that I saw that samaar. Uh, lost his appeal and he's going to immediately start his five-game suspension. But what else, what else is going on on the south side of town? Did I did I lose Montel?
1: Oh no, I'm here, Josh. Uh, you know, I'm sitting here thinking about you know what you were saying and uh, what's going on with the Sox. I mean it's. It's really not that easy of a question. Uh, Put most simply, a lot of bad baseball. Uh, This is a team that hasn't homered since April 22nd. Uh, They, as a team, have less homers than Nelson Cruz, who has 14 on the season. Uh, In in terms of hitting, uh, you know, as a guy, you know, I played a lot of baseball in high school. Things you go over when you practice and get ready, situational baseball. Getting the runners on, getting guns, stealing. The Sox only have four stolen bases. You know what is this? You know we have Michael Johnson. Michael Johnson up here for a reason. Adam Eaton is supposed to be our leadoff guy for a reason. You know these guys, they're not running. They're not hitting. They're not hitting and running. So there's not a lot of offense for this team up at this point. Uh, dead last in baseball and runs scored, 18th in batting average, and 25th in on base percentage. Uh, You know, just like uh, you like to say, Pete Rose, a lot of people used to say, you can't steal first base, and the White Sox, try as they might, haven't either. Uh, Pitching's been better. Uh, The good news is that uh, the bullpen, which was the primary project for GM Rick Hahn, has gotten better. Bullpen's been outstanding to this point. Uh, When you look at uh, just batting average against, uh, uh, you know, averaging in the 260s, 270s against this team overall, pitching. Uh, which means they're doing a good job keeping people off the base pass. Uh, the same thing with the... Uh, obviously, the quality starts are kind of there, but they could be better than now 23rd in the league in that. So a lot of different areas they could do better in, uh, but pitching is, is better than hitting, and it's it's still bad. Uh, a lot of errors. you know, Not a lot of defensive statistics available, but I'll tell you right now, they have more errors at this point than, than they do home runs and steals combined. So... Uh, once again, when you talk about what the Sox are doing, it's a lot of bad baseball. <laughs> That's the best way I can put it. I'm very disappointed. Uh, right now, i in the midst of a tie game against the uh, against the uh, Detroit Tigers, so we'll see where that goes. But uh, not, not not very proud of the team right now. Uh, there's some guys who are being moved around, uh, maybe being called up, maybe being sent down. Uh, they got to do something to shake up this lineup and to shake up this team because I don't think they have that sense of urgency yet.
0: So what's your, what, you're, what you're essentially saying is that White Sox fans are are kind of starting to realize and, and feel the same way Cubs fans have been for quite some time. Uh, yes?
1: Uh, sure. Uh, from a Metrical standpoint, <laughs> when you look at what the Sox have to do to, to not just get to 500 but to get into what could be difficult playoff contention, they have like an 8% play, chance of making the playoffs at this point in the season. 8%. So, uh, not to, you know, have too much of a knee-jerk reaction, but this is where they're trending toward unless they go on a surge. Uh, I'm a big believer that, you know, if you can lose five games in a row, you can win five games in a row. But uh, this team has been prone to that type of explosion uh, and, and priming at that type of a point where they could do those things. So, I can't I can't say that with any conviction that it happened. So, uh, absolutely. Uh, it's very frustrating to be a White Sox fan. I I feel for Cubs fans everywhere except always eating This team, you know, people went out and spent money on this team. And, you know, we're not just raising these farm prospects, which is still an ongoing process for the five. They actually went out, spent money, found players who metrically fit into this team. You know, guys like Adam LaRose so Rose who can get on the things. and And it still just hasn't really worked out.
0: Exactly, man. You know, I, I can't agree more with you. And, and one quick uh, breaking news before we uh, turn over to the NHL. Former LSU offensive tackle Al Collins has been proven that he is not the father of the child who tragically died, uh, of course. Boree, Boree,
2: Boree.
0: as sad as it is, he's being questionable uh, questioned by Louisiana police for the murder of his ex-girlfriend, who uh, was holding a child. But with him being now moved, not being named the father, uh, you can definitely expect that NFL teams are now licking the chops to get this kid signed, because as we talked before Montel, this is a guy who who had a first-round grade from a lot of people, and then this news uh, popped up on Wednesday, Of, of all days, it popped up on Wednesday. And really kind of killed his draft stock, um, so it's gonna be interesting to see who he who he signs with, but turning it over to the ice, damn, the wild are getting handed to him by your blackhawks man three zero um uh, i uh, like like what Ralph said with the bulls, man, for real. Like, we, we were able to put up a good fight against the St. Louis Blues and win that in six, uh, and now we're getting it handed to us by the Chicago Blackhawks, who seemingly have our number. Uh, and any time you get Patrick Kane on the ice with the puck, uh, it's more than likely going to find the back of the net. Um, I don't know what the Wild need to do, unfortunately. I think it's time for Wild fans to accept the fact that the brooms are probably going to be broken out uh, tomorrow, and we could get swept. Uh, and this will be the third year in a row that we have had to see our chance to hoist the Stanley Cup halted by the Chicago Blackhawks. Uh, I know you're probably sitting there all giddy because you're, you know, you being a Blackhawks fan, but come on, man, level with me. It's for dude, come on. You cannot turn. You cannot turn the puck over. You cannot, <laughs> you cannot play bad. Period. Against the Chicago Blackhawks, yet alone you cannot make silly mistakes when Patrick Kane and Jonathan Taves. Are on the ice at the same time, which is surprising that they've done that a lot. Normally, Patrick Kane's playing on the second line. You have Jonathan Taves, the captain, playing on the first line. Uh, there are some mix-ups going on in game game two and in game three, to where they showed uh, both of those guys being on the ice at the same time. Um, come on, man! And you know, as far as Dubes, Dubes has been playing great. You know, and of course, I'm referencing uh, you know Devin Dubnik, the goalie that we traded for, who. Had we have not landed that trade, we probably wouldn't even be discussing this because I don't think the the Wild would have even been in the playoffs. Um, But that's my end. That's the end of my rant on on the Blackhawks just handing it to my Minnesota Wild. Hopefully, the Wild can get it on track and we can at least win one. I mean, we're at home. We're going to be at home tomorrow for crying out loud. We have to win at least one.
1: Um, and, but, uh, you know, <laughs> let's let's get out there let's be efficient here. Let's let's uh see what the Blackhawks can do. They can close it out, then they can, you know, save themselves, get ready for the conference finals. Uh, you know, it's it's a major push here. And as a guy who loves downtown Chicago in the summer, I think it is uh long overdue for a Stanley Cub celebration. So uh Josh, I I d I don't know about your Minnesota team. And the funny part is you know, I you know I was just starting to kind of learn some of the players' names, and you know me, I'm mean, it's been a it's been a rough effort getting to learn and relearn hockey players and, and and rosters and teams, and I'm just starting to get familiar with them, and then you know they're losing, so uh, you know the series is almost over. <laughs> so, um, uh, we'll, saying, bro. We'll, we'll see. you just
0: don't know when to stop. You're turning the knife harder and harder, man. Like it's it's going into the ribs, bro. That's rough. Oh.
1: It's like losing to the classic Yankees. You know, nothing's wrong with that because it, it, it'll it it'll validate you guys if they go on and win the cup because then you can say, you know, we're oh, yeah. going to offer the championship. I'm to stop right
0: there. You said that Chicago is long overdue for, for hoisting the cup. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, didn't you guys hoist the cup two years ago? You guys are not long overdue. Yeah,
1: I mean, what, what's, what's the point? Two years ago, it feels like five here in Chicago, especially <laughs> when it's your only great sport. <laughs> so, yeah. No, it's, you know, they got to pick up the slack that the Bears and, and the Sox left behind, you know, the hardware that the Bulls might not bring home.
0: That's that's the truth after that, you know, that, the ending to that ugly game. But we do have a final. Surprisingly, the number two seed, Tampa Bay Lightning, are up three games to none on the Montreal Canadiens. Uh, obviously, they're going to be looking for the sleep uh, this weekend, which will be on Saturday. We also have a final in the Washington game, oh, no, excuse me, going into the third period of the Washington game, about 12 minutes left, the Rangers are losing 2-1 to to the Washington Capitals, who lead that series 2-1, surprisingly. Uh, And then, of course, uh, it it seemingly looks like the the Anaheim Ducks, they're my favorite, they're my pick, to be the team that the Blackhawks are going to have to face next round. But it doesn't look like the Flames are going to go away uh, that quietly as last night. Uh, a guy by the name of Johnny Hockey, and, and I'm going to say Johnny Hockey because that's what he's going by now, Uh rookie left winger for the Calgary Flames, decided to show up last night with 20 seconds left and net himself a goal to tie it at 3-3 with about 20 seconds. And obviously that game goes into OT. The Flames win. uh. Easily, I should say, in that OD, they actually made it look, you know, quite comical uh, to, to, to shorten that series length. Um, now that we're kind of looking at it, though, man, uh, that, that's basically how it's going to fall. Uh, I, I truly still think that, you know, when you got a team with Chris Perry and Ryan Getzlaff, and then, of course, that goalie's playing phenomenal, uh, and they've been rotating them in and out, the Ducks are going to be the team that's going to face the Blackhawks, and I, I I think the Blackhawks are going to be tested. Now, if Patrick Kane plays the way that Patrick Kane's been playing and the way that Patrick Kane always plays in the playoffs, it's going to obviously be a different story. But when you look at the Western Conference Finals, uh, it's going to be very intriguing to see just who and how long the Blackhawks have to wait until they find uh, find their match.
1: Absolutely, and that's, that's another important fact, too, and it, it's just going to be incredible to see, Josh. I mean, you want to offer up any predictions here, too? You know what?
0: Yeah, uh, we got about three minutes left in the show. Let's let's give a quick little prediction. Uh, you know, obviously, up three games to none, I'm taking Tampa over the Canadians, and then I really like what the Capitals are doing. You know, Braden Holby playing great in goal. Uh, you obviously got Ovi. You can't pick, you know, Nate Backus is playing well. You can't pick against the Caps, in my opinion. Um, I believe that the Rangers uh, are basically their Cinderella-type stretch is is starting to die, as, you know, they made the the finals last year. But I think the Caps are going to win, and I think we'll see that the Caps play the Thunder, or excuse me, the Lightning, heading into that crucial uh, conference final. Um, And then, of course, on the Western side, Uh, I told you, I think it's going to be the Ducks. I would not be surprised if the Flames give them a little bit more of a fight. Uh, We obviously won't see that game until Saturday. But, I mean, dude, your your Blackhawks have it wrapped up, man. I'm sorry. Uh, Hockey season is over for me. Uh, The draft was this past weekend, which means football season is officially starting to kick off, so I could care less about hockey now uh, from being a Wild fan standpoint, especially now that we're down 3-0 in the series. Um, I'm just hoping that maybe the Wild can net at least themselves one goal, uh, since they were they failed to do that last night in Game Three.
1: Okay, okay, I see you, bro. I can I can get with that.
0: But who the question is is who do you think your Blackhawks are going to face?
1: Oh man, this is tough. This is tough. Uh, <sighs> you know, when I'm looking at as, as the way things might go? I don't, I don't really... You know, you got these teams, and I'm just trying to look and see, you know, what could happen. I mean, I'm looking at, you know, Washington. I think it's... I mean, I think Washington could be a thing, to be honest with you. I, I could be sold on the Capitals a little bit. Um it depends. It depends on how they play. I mean, the Rangers have, you know, obviously won and then they've, uh, I don't know. It seems like their leading scorer is just has one goal, the whole playoff. So, uh, I don't, I don't know what's going on. You know, is he going to show up big time in game four, you know, what's he doing? So, uh, I could, I could see Washington doing it. I could see them getting there. I don't know what it means for them, what type of players they have to step up, but, uh, I could definitely see this team, uh, showing up and, and maybe giving the Blackhawks some trouble here in the, in the finals.
0: Uh-hoo. So so finals prediction from the man himself is the Chicago black hacks against the Washington capitals. We're obviously going to keep an eye out for that uh, heading into next week as well uh, as the remainder heading up to the crucial Stanley cup finals. But, that's about all the time we have uh, on this episode. Uh, I want to thank each and every one of you for tuning in this evening and listening. I also want to send uh, say thank you to our CEO, Mr. Ralph Garcia, for coming on and talking a little bit of NBA and educating us young folks and also giving us a little bit of a history lesson on boxing. Montel, of course, always, I appreciate you taking time out of your evening to join me uh, so that we can make this show
1: possible. But Anytime, bro. Thank you. Yeah, no, anytime, bro. Thank you. It's been a great show.
0: Hey, yes, sir. Thank you. And until next time, folks, have yourselves a good rest of your evening and a good week, and we will see you same time, same place next week.
1: Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky?
2: Lucky?